This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. News publishers have for a long time balanced challenging and often competing factors. How to commercialize a quality news product without compromising editorial integrity or the customer's experience. How to grow subscriptions without impacting advertising how to transform their cultures to focus on digital as print declines. Change is constant, and the speed with which publishers adapt matters, as seen with the Blank Spot Project, our publisher guest on this week's show. In this series, we examine the pivotal challenges faced by publishers in the digital age and their efforts to sustain and deliver journalism and news. I'm Alad John, and this is The Turning Point by FT Strategies. Hello and welcome to The Turning Point by FT Strategies. I'm Alad John. This week, we welcome a publisher from Sweden who has participated in our digital immersion program in partnership with the Google News Initiative. Delighted to welcome Britt Staxton, CEO and co-founder of the Blank Spot Project. Also joining us is Vincent Ryan, News Lab Training Manager from the Google News Initiative. Welcome both. Thank you. Thanks. Britt, why don't we start with you? And as is customary, I'd love to set the scene if you can and tell us a little bit about the story behind Blank Spot Project, how it was conceived and where you are today. So Blank Spot has been around for four, eight years and we are immensely proud to still be around. We started as a crowdfunded digital-only platform for long-form journalism and we wanted to report around from the world, but also Sweden. And... Our goal has always been to really focus on the quality of the journalism, but also tell the stories that do not always get told. It's not a news outlet. We're putting maybe the overlooked corners or the overlooked perspectives in focus and want to put them uh, under the looking glass. And we are ad-free and no paywalls. And and this is also linked to the fact that we do tell about maybe not the most viral perspectives of things, and these stories uh, need to be told. And we think that putting them behind a paywall would only uh, decrease the possibility to these news to be or stories to be shared. But what is unique about us and what we always wanted to explore more is that I'm actually a PR consultant. I'm a communication expert and started Blank Spot together with one journalist, Martin Shibi, who came back from being in prison for 438 days for having boots on the ground in the Ogaden region and was convicted to terrorism for the stories he wanted to tell together with a photographer, Johan Persson. And when he came back to Sweden to this new media reality in around 2012, 2013, I was actually the PR consultant for that book. And I also met Martin and Johan on their very first day back because I arranged the press conference. But when we talk about Blank Spot, we always talk about that day because that's when we started to work. And since then, we have been working together. But I bring this to the table because that has meant that my perspective into Blank Spot has been the aspect of very early seeing the need of having a very close reader relationship. 
and the importance of letting our audiences, the readers, defend journalism. Because already at that time you saw a lot of threats against journalism for being accused of being biased and uh, being produced by an elite and all those kind of aspects that have only been emphasized since then. And in my research, I really realized that we need to make the readers defend it much more. And to do that, you need to understand more of how it's carried out. What is journalism and how is that produced? Why do we interview 10 people, but only let two of them take part in the published story? So we invited our readers very early into the process. And that is still something that we were in the forefront of. That is very natural today. I would, however, say that when you go to the traditional journalism schools that's still not, at least not in Sweden, not the prioritized and not the finest parts of the work. But that has been exceptional to work together with Martin Shibi as the editor-in-chief and as a journalist, because he has always seen the readers as one of the finest, the most important uh, part of getting uh, the excellent perspectives, getting, they have such a deep knowledge often that you can tap into and also really keep the stories alive for a long time. So I'm getting to the finish because the last aspect of it is that we always have published everything under Creative Commons license. And I will get back to how that really the last year when we did the unique story around the World Cup in uh, Qatar. So the Creative Commons license, meaning that all our content basically is free to use as long as uh, you credit us for having produced the stories. You talked really articulately there, Britt, thank you, around the origins of of Blank Spot. Uh, I wonder if you could, practically speaking, provide our audience an idea of how you bring the reader into the the creative process. So you mentioned Martin and the team relying on the reader's input. I'd love to know more about how you do that. And then perhaps Vincent can share his thoughts on how you do that as well. What we did when we started was that we, at that time, used, above all, Facebook groups. That was, at that time, we still have readers that are not too fond of using social media at all. But social media is the tool where you can have the closest relationship. So one of the Facebook groups that we that really shows the impacts of this had to do when you had the refugees coming from Afghanistan to Sweden around 2015. The group that we had with over uh, almost 9,000 people engaged in this, and that means refugees, police, all the institutions, all the governments, the families that took them in their homes, and also teachers that worked or other youth organizations that worked with these young refugees. That group of engaged people with all the different aspects has been absolutely crucial in reporting around this issue. And also a good example of sometimes they knew so much more than we knew. But then I also have personal stories where you have these reporters that maybe are out on a long story producing in in, uh, 
and seeing that the stories might not go where you thought it would go. You feel that you're stuck, you're not getting access to people and you really don't know, is this really, where, where is this going? And at times you might not want to tell all of what you're doing, but you can still involve them much more than you think. And to show those those periods of doubting your story is also something that can create a huge boost to just let your readers into this process. And when you wake up the next morning, you get these really positive responses of, I'm sure you will make this, and how about this, or how about that? So it's been on a very detailed level also, discussing why we do not show faces on some photos and uh, the thought behind that uh, to really give insights in the journalistic uh, toolbox and thoughts. It's a, it's a lot of work to provide that feedback loop and continuous support to both the readers and, and the, I guess, benefit from the input that they can provide. How big is the team now? Oh, we are uh, the smallest media house you will find in Sweden. Uh, we are currently only two people as an editorial team, but work with a lot of freelancers. So uh, when they are out uh, on the reportage, working with the reportage, then they are like, uh, since we have, we communicate always through Slack. So then you suddenly can have uh, 10 team members for a while. But the team, the, the ones that are here on a daily basis, that's just two of us. And, and final question, I guess, before I come to you, Vincent, how do you balance the 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 realities of running it as a business with the, the mission that you have from an editorial standpoint. I'd love to, if you could share more around your revenue aspirations and the growth that you see for Blank Spot, that would be great to understand. So I already mentioned that it's, uh, we are very lucky, we feel very fortunate to still be around, but uh, these issues are absolutely our weakest points in, in so many levels. But that's why this program was very essential to us. And unfortunately, since we were um, able to go through this program and really focusing on our long-term goals, we have a pandemic that really affected us in, in a major way because a large marketing campaign that we had planned linked to our possibility to tour around Sweden, talking about journalism and democracy with young people in schools. That was not possible to do. And after the pandemic, we have the war in Ukraine that also affected us because in that time we had a big partnership with one of the larger dailies in Sweden and they had to put the resources that was meant to invest in us in uh, the covering of Ukraine. So we have subscribers that started as crowdfunders. They crowdfunded us. So when we launched the campaign for eight years ago, we then set the Nordic record of backers in a crowdfunding campaign. Very low numbers uh, with the stats of today, but at that time you could break the Nordic record with 2,300 backers. And I would say that uh, the the largest task for us was one year later when we wanted 
big at that time we had 3300 uh, subscribers or backers how many of them would stay because that's always the very weak point uh, for crowdfunded media products and we had the amazing 75% who who basically has stayed on i would say mm. well, it's not just for crowdfunded outfits but also any kind of subscription business retention is the key challenge i guess often crowdfunding is a one off as opposed to a recurring payment which is something which uh, perhaps vincent can reflect on R- vincent listening to some of the the amazing aspects of what brit's been talking about both from an editorial journey as well as the the business side can you reflect on i guess on how news lab and the work that you do with the google news initiative supports organizations like blank spots um, yeah, no, it was quite interesting to hear um, Britt say that some of the elements of what, what they focus on, the, the transparency part and the allowing readers to understand the full process, that these are not not things that are fully implemented in journalism schools. A lot of what we focus on, particularly in the news lab um, part of GNI, is around editorial skills. Journalism has a a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to continuous professional development. It is not seen as a requirement in most countries for journalists to to prove their skills and improve their skills year upon year outside of usually legal training, which is required often from a business perspective to avoid bankrupting entire businesses. Um, and a lot of what we do is try to provide journalists with digital skills to aid that transition to be um, more engaging and to, to provide new formats um, and, and new ways to tell stories using what is available online. And so to move away from just print and picture to more interactive formats or to longer, deeper formats, and as well to try and combat the misinformation elements that have been emerging online. So very much would be in line with what uh, what Britt was saying about um you know, journalists need to 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 focus on new and different skills, often to improve um, where where they've come from, and and where the publications are going. I'm absolutely amazed by the uh, retention figures and the the subscriber figures, um, and I do think that transparency and interaction is is probably key to providing that and and making it feel like more of a community, um, and that that that's what work. And we've seen that in other publishers in. Um, in Italy, in particular, where where um, slow news use a they use a crowdfunded document where if they're looking for an expert, um, their readers can suggest experts through this document, and to to enrich stories like what would be the next element of this story that would take it further, which is like interesting initiatives. Again, just asking your community how how they can help because as much as a journalist might be a subject matter expert it's unlikely that they know more than every single reader. And that's a kind of a, a change and, and should be seen as a new superpower that they can be like a convener of these these groups to, to get to a deeper and better story, which is, yeah, I think what, what you're doing very well. Um, I absolutely love that Qatar story that you've done. It, it, it's visually brilliant. If anyone hasn't seen it, the use of cards, it, it, it tells the story of the missing people so, so well as a hook to people bring, to bring people into you know what was an ongoing crisis this really brought it back alive again and and, and gave new impetus to the story it was fantastic work yeah i think um gone are the days when newsrooms 
large or small, sort of hold their cards very, very close to the chest. And many still do, but I think there's there's a need for, well, there's a huge benefit to that increased transparency and back and forth feedback with users and how they can actually contribute and support the work that you're doing. You touched upon formats there, Vincent. I'd love to reflect for a moment, I guess, with Brit. What, what formats do you see really working for Blank Spot beyond uh, the traditional formats of, of, of words and pictures, as Vincent called it? Are you experimenting with other areas, podcasts, audio, video, or more besides? For us at this stage, it's really about finding more resources to do more because what has been so at, at focus for Blank Spot that there only is a large need of in this day and age is the, the fact that we just heard about understanding what differs journalism from everything else produced on the internet. That's been uh, something that we repeated over and over again. And uh, to our uh, retention, um, to our income, and in, uh, we really focus on the possibility to be out in schools and meet young people and discuss about media literacy and really give, they had a possibility to follow. Actually, Martin Schiebe and Johan Persson made a successful journalistic reportage when they went to Eritrea, which is a very close country. I think it was the first time a Swedish journal, Swedish journalists were in Eritrea for 10 years when they went there. And at that time, we invited students that could follow Martin directly in Facebook groups from the very first idea of the story to the finished product. And we actually got these young students uh, between 14 and 16 to read, listen to this, (laughs) 30,000 letters. That's quite a long story. Um, And also the teachers were very surprised that the students really wanted to read in-depth stories because they had followed the story from the very first idea and were able to talk to Martin uh, when he was in Eritrea. And they were looking so forward to see the finished story. I think the aspect of journalism being more generous into and defend the pieces you do is really, really crucial. And even if not everybody has the same education, you still have media ethics that are really relevant to discuss. And a lot of aspects that show the the tools behind journalism and what differs that from a story from somebody that's been on the same place but is reporting as a citizen journalist, which is another format. So I really want to emphasize that that has been also part of us still being around because that uh, we then could find some funds that promoted these kind of educational initiatives, but it also helped us to produce more journalism and talk about journalism, which is a, in our long-term mission since really, really believe in quality journalism. And format-wise, you just need to be curious. We were so disappointed for three, four years ago because we wanted to start Discord channels. And sometimes when you're a small publisher, it's enough with three of your fondest readers when they get upset 
if they need to be in yet another channel or something. But I do believe you need to have muscles to really try different formats for different reader groups. And so for us, the format is, of course, we usually work with journalists who love to write and they should write. It's sort of, that's still the key product, but you can package it in so many different formats. And that's why the Cards of Qatar has been a wonderful project to work with because it took us two and a half years to gather the stories of migrant workers to put the human beings behind the statistics as the main player in the game. And at the same time, think of how should we, this small media player, and also in a Swedish context, usually not the ones that uh, focus on sport journalism. How should we reach that target group? And then finding that bridge and see the value of packaging and communication and uh, use that as a bridge, as a trailer in a very analog format over to do the complex issue of the reality of migrant workers. There's a lot to unpack there. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I want to pull out some of the key themes from what you discussed there. You've touched upon, both of you in fact, the lack of education on of, of journalists through their career. There's the, the challenges around changing patterns of consumption with younger people now potentially consuming news in a different way. And also the penetration of existing core brands to that younger generation who are the future of news audiences around the world, not actually cutting through as much and many don't get their news from the traditional forms that we're aware of. So we have this very yawning gap between how many organizations produce and create their their journalism and their content and the way that the new audiences of the future will consume it. There is a big difference there, as is very apparent from the discussion we've just been been having. But positive that some of the, the, the stories that you were showing, Britt, that the younger people were heavily engaged, that your team engaged with. I guess from a news lab standpoint first, Vincent, how do you see that? trajectory improving with organizations like Brits helping new audiences consume media in a different way. What does NewsLab do about that? And then Brit, we can come to your view as to where Blankspot is heading with, with new formats and its own growth in a minute. Yeah, we like one of our core missions is to to enable experimentations within news brands and to allow them to, to try new formats. But I think, Brit, there has to be a story and the story has to be worthy of the format. If, if you do not have, and this is, you know, people will say, oh, we, we've invested X and Y and Z in doing some massive infographic or some very nice interactive. But unless the story that underlies it is engaging enough, you have to ask that question. It's like, does this story deserve this work, this, this packaging? When the two come together, you get like a beautiful harmony and generally you will get the reward. But if you over-index on one and forget the other, you will miss your target. And that is less science and more art. It is traditional journalism. It is finding the correct story. It is talking to people. It is uncovering a truth. And then it is how you tell that truth. The newer audiences they want that new format. They want to be engaged in new ways. They they have grown up digitally native. They are used to things that move, things that change, things that take them down a, a path as opposed to uh, following, you know, a column. 
um, from one page to the next. They want something much more engaging than that. We have done quite a lot of work about this. We do research on Gen Z and how Gen Z interact with news and, and we publish and share all of that. I think there is a, a, a mistake that people make where, where they say that there is news avoidance or they're not interested in news. They're very well informed. It is just that they are not being informed through traditional brands. And how those traditional brands pivot to attract those audiences is they, they often have to be careful. It can be seen to be condescending, which is terrible. You know, being overly, uh, this is for Gen Z, that's not really what they want. They they want to be included in the process. And they, they usually have very strong media literacy skills. But it is it, it often just goes back to storytelling, to to finding an engaging story with an engaging format. And then you will find the audience, which I think is is what has been proven here. And Vincent, a lot of organizations, uh, especially bigger ones, funnily enough, who may have more resources, but are more fixed in their ways of um, producing it and distributing good journalism. Uh, but a lot might be fearful of new formats in a way, will worry about the investment required to expand into new types of formats that might deepen engagement with new audiences. We know new audiences are a big priority for many of the organizations we work with and how to identify them and how to meet their needs, both in terms of the format, but also the subject matter of the content of the journalism. How do you balance that investment or resource challenge with the need, as is apparent? Like that is the million dollar question. I don't think there is a single answer. Britt mentioned Discord. Like, yes, there is a large youth audience in Discord. Many publishers will be scratching their heads asking, what is Discord? And, you know, is this another area we should be in? And there, some of them are more complex than others. They're, should we all switch to Mastodon and have Mastodon accounts now and abandon our Twitter audiences? The fragmentation that is going on, even in, in what were considered like relatively established social channels, is is ongoing. So... To be perfectly honest, most small publishers, they should not be investing in every single one of them. That That is, they, they should be smartly placing the bets as to look at where is their audience? Where 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 is the audience that they can reach and that they can work with? Um, even the FT themselves, I believe, had to abandon their instance of Mastodon because it became too onerous. Uh, so, so. We'll pass comment on that. <laughs> So there, there are challenges across the board for both large and small as to as to where where to to place these bets. Uh, to be per- perfectly honest, it is not something that we would advise. Definitely do this. It, it, it is it is experimentation, and you have to experiment and see what works. And and that is the best advice we could give. And Britt, then does that resonate with you? The experimentation, which is obviously something we promoted and definitely worked towards with the program you took part in, in Digital Immersion. But um, I'd love to understand how experimentation of approach is leading what you see as the next two, three years. The aim is not always to start packaging your content in new formats. It's about understanding new target groups better, understanding new ways of communicating and I was at Clubhouse uh, yesterday also uh, the aspect of what Clubhouse meant for us of course even more during 
I would still say a year or so, due to the fact that we work very closely to uh, find many voices linked to democracy activities around the world. And that was quite unique. And I still also, when the uh, invasion of Ukraine was the ongoing room that were uh, the space that went on and on, on Clubhouse was immensely valuable for us to finding people that we would have had so many resources to find otherwise and to come in contact with. So that's the dimension of being um, curious on new platforms to understand coming audiences, but also to come in contact uh, with people you need for the stories you're covering or the perspectives. And since we really cover democracy issues, you need to be very curious on the coming ways of discussing and uh, community buildings. And maybe not always the fact of starting your own channel there and so on, even if we we did that quite successfully on Clubhouse as well, but not on, on every other channel. But I agree, if you're small, uh, you should not fragmentize everything you do. And for us, it's still the traditional journalistic reportage, long formats or books, etc., core product for us. But it is such a good time to be alive and work with journalism and be able to reach so many people, so many new perspectives. And, and you have to be very curious and, and happy about that at the same time. If that's one core message that we can land with this episode of the podcast, I'll be very, very happy. Um, I would love to know more, Britt, in terms of your experience on digital immersion, I guess, as a program. We obviously work towards in that program and others to support you as an organization with your North Star uh, goal and, and you, how you can achieve that goal over a kind of roadmap of outcomes. How far along are you in that North Star? And if you could share the goal, I guess, that you that you came up came up with on the program, that would be great. Well, for us, it uh, was very inspiring. And uh, the first step for us was uh, working much more focus on the insights that we actually had in front of us, because it's a lot of prioritizing time to do something as easy. At that time, we had 7,000 subscribers to a newsletter that always have had an opening rate of between uh, 35 to 55. So the lowest is 35% and and at times uh, above 50. That's excellent. And of course, we should work more with that and also aim at getting more news uh, letters, subscribers. And that is, of course, a format that we did not have from the very first beginning, but that uh, has been important uh, the last couple of years. So we wanted to prioritize more of that. That was one uh, very natural outcome for us. And then our North Star was, uh, is still very relevant, but the pandemic years really set us back. Although our perspectives of how democracies were affected or the democracy development was affected by the pandemic was something that we were really, uh, we had a lot of readers during the pandemic 
but we, as said, were not able to tour around Sweden as planned, which was a huge part of our subscription plan in reaching 10,000 subscribers, not during one year, but that's our long-term five-year perspective. And today we have 2,300, 2,500 subscribers, but much more readers, of course, because it's free to read. Uh, but the conversion from the newsletter readers is something that we have been picking up again now because the pandemic and the work with Cards of Qatar has really taken a lot of energy and with a fantastic outcome, but not necessarily in more subscribers. But that's where we are now to really go back and focus on reaching and constantly working much more to remind people to subscribe to us. So that's one part. And the other part is that we have a part of the budget on a yearly basis that is aimed at those who have more money to contribute to ensure that quality journalism is produced. So in, in one term, they are like subscribers. They have absolutely no editorial influence or anything, but they are fortunate enough to have more money. We have been fortunate enough to have uh, some investors like that. So we know it's possible to find maybe 10 people that could contribute with, in a Swedish context, with 25,000 euros per year. So that could be a third of our budget per year. So we, we always look for those kind of uh, people that raise their voices in their engagement for journalism and have the financial resources for that. And then we work with those kind of external sponsorships. That can be educational institutions or in the example with Cards of Qatar, we work together with a football app that has 2 million subscribers all over the world, uh, Forza. And the owner of Forza uh, contributed to the editorial costs during a two-year period. And also with no say on the editorial content or anything, but they were also interested in having our journalistic content to give to their app users. And we were interested of using uh, to tap into the audience to learn more about how they're engaged football fans see upon FIFA or migrant workers, etc. The whole situation that was uh, very interesting for us to use, were be able to use the audience to make polls that we could do journalism around and also through their app, be able to reach out with our journalism. So we always try to find those kind of partners. So that's what we're still aiming at. And the North Star work was very, very good for us and is in the mind of our back in the mind of our heads all the time. For the last couple of years, there's some sort of bad conscious, but important. And um, it's something to hold on to that uh, is, uh, we really discussed 
when we now had the time after Cards of Qatar to really see where do we go from this. And uh, it meant a lot for us in our strategic thinking and taking time to do that and very concrete small things. The, the discussion that I had had internally before, shouldn't we have kind of a pop-up for our newsletter? The journalists were not that interested in it. But that little pop-up, 80% of our new subscribers come from that pop-up. So thank you for that, <laughs> for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as ever, balancing tactics... Uh, which can make quite quick impacts as well as thinking of a long-term strategy is, is essential. Yeah. Um, as well as agility with how you monetize and, and sustain the business. Sounds like you're trying lots of routes very successfully. So, thank you. Uh, I'd love, as I always do, to ask one final question, I guess. If you were to rewind to when you were first starting Blank Spot, what would you tell the younger Brit and team <laughs> to do differently? Any lessons learned that you'd love to share? Oh, yo, yo. You need to prioritize your customer because we that really had the customer relation on a very deep level in focus, but that also means the administrative level of that to have that process and prioritize that. But the journalism has always been put first. And you always feel bad when you take time for the other stuff, but you need to do that. So we should have been much more clearer on where we wanted to go. But sometimes you just need to survive another half year or so and have a great story in hidden in your closets and then come out with Cards of Qatar or something like that. Britt and Vincent, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Turning Point. We will be back next week with another edition of The Turning Point, exploring the critical moments news publishers have faced and the new direction they forged. Don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on each new episode. You can find the links on Spotify, iTunes, or of course via the FT Strategies website or Google Podcasts. And for more strategies and tactics publishers and wider media are adopting to not just survive but thrive, you can subscribe to the FT Strategies newsletter. Our executive producer was Hani Chikes. My name is Ala John, and that was The Turning Point. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age.